You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Well, hey, y'all. It's great to uh, be with you this morning. Again, uh, Mom's happy Mother's Day. Hope your day is off to a great start. Um, If you're visiting with us, first time here, and I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake, and I'm so glad that you're here as we're we're continuing our teaching series through the Sermon on the Mount uh, found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And if you're not familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, if you're kind of new to church or new to our church, uh, first of all, we want you to know we're so glad that you're here and we're really impressed with you. Because like showing up at a new church, I know it's kind of weird and hard and scary at times. And like, are we going to bite and things like that? But we promise we won't bite. We love that you're here. We hope you feel really welcomed here. And we would love to come alongside you, help you explore faith in Jesus and get connected to him as he leads as you respond to that. So anyways, uh, we're so glad that you're here. But if you're unfamiliar with the Sermon on the Mount, it's helpful to know that this is Jesus' most famous sermon. And in this sermon, it basically operates as his manifesto on the kingdom of God. We use that language a lot in this series, but it's basically his vision of the the kingdom of God. And uh, if you're not familiar with the language of kingdom of God, I think the best uh, definition or way to sum that up that I've ever heard is that the kingdom of God is where the will of the king is carried out or it's done. And the king, the true king God, is, is, is where his will is done. So wherever you see the will of God being done, you see the kingdom of God entering. And Jesus came to initiate that. He came to inaugurate the kingdom of God by his coming, by his life, his death, and his resurrection. And before, uh, and really inaugurated at his resurrection, but leading up to that is when he began teaching about the kingdom of God. Again, as a manifesto, like this is what is coming. He starts telling us what it's going to be like, and, he start, and what he says is beautiful, and it's challenging. <laughs> because like he says early on in this sermon, he's, one of the things he says is that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, meaning like the most dutiful religious people in that day and age, he says, unless your righteousness actually surpasses them, you won't even enter the kingdom of God. And that's like, that's like super challenging and, and sobering. And then, and then as he continues in his message, he elaborates on what that actually means, because what he's getting at when he says that is that the righteousness that we need isn't, isn't or that the kingdom of God <laughs> insists upon, is, it's not a righteousness of our behavior only or behavior modification. It's actually a righteousness that comes from within. It's heart-level righteousness. And so he starts giving us pictures of what that looks like. And, and actually leading up to today's passage, what Caroline just read for us, uh, he, he gives us a number of pictures of what this looks like. If you just start in chapter 6, he, one of the things that he says is that uh, people whose you know, righteousness surpasses the Pharisees is, is this kind of person. It's a person who doesn't uh, practice their righteousness in front of others in order to be seen by them. Meaning like, okay, you, you don't live in a way to, to just please others and try to impress others and enslave to what others think about you. And then he continues on in verse 19 and 20 in chapter 6, and he says, uh, it, you're, you're a type of person who doesn't store up treasures on earth, but instead you store up treasures in heaven. And then he adds to that, 
couple verses later, you're also the type of person who um, doesn't worry about your life, what you eat or what you'll drink or about your body, which you'll wear, that instead, verse 33, you're going to seek first God's kingdom and, and his righteousness. And then he also adds in the beginning of chapter 7, Matt taught on last week, did such a great job teaching on that, but he, he adds, Jesus adds this simple, or really I should say not so simple command and description of what it looks like to be citizens of heaven. He says, hey, look, you, <laughs> you're not going to judge. I do not judge. And so like if you're keeping score, just even from chapter 6 up to chapter, beginning of chapter 7, what Jesus has described is regards to what it means to live as citizen of the kingdom of heaven is is a righteousness that goes beyond the surface level to the heart level where you find that you're you're someone who um, (laughs) doesn't live enslaved to what other people think about you, who doesn't, uh, (laughs) doesn't worry about your life, that doesn't chase after the treasures of this world, the comfort and pleasures of this world, and who doesn't judge others. How are you doing with that? If you're like me, you find that really challenging. And it's a weird kind of challenging. Because when it comes to these commands that Jesus gives us in the Sermon on the Mount, they're not commands that I personally hear and think, I don't want to do that. They're actually things that I hear and I think, man, I would love to do that. I would love to not worry. I don't know about y'all, but that would be awesome. That's a great command. Don't worry. I just can't seem to figure that one out. Can y'all? I mean, bad things just keep happening in the world. So it's like, Jesus, that's really hard. I'd love to do that, but I don't know. I can't can't seem to figure that one out. I would love to not always feel like I have to impress other people, trying to people please and all that kind of stuff. I would love to be free from that. But I just can't stop caring, at least stop fully caring, about what other people think about me. I, I would love not to judge people. Like, I don't want to be a judgmental person. I, I judge those people. They're terrible. Um, <laughs> but people keep doing stupid things, and so I end up struggling with judging them. Like, there's something messed up in my heart where it's even the commands that Jesus says. Like, I want to do them, but on a heart level, I don't think I'm becoming the person. Not yet, not fully, hopefully on track, but that's this kind of person yet. And so I was like, well, what do I do with that? And like, what do you do with that? Because my guess is that I'm not alone in that. That We all struggle with doing these kind of things. And we, we want to change, but we don't feel like we know how to change or we can't quite change. It's like, how do I become this kind of person this, this, with this righteousness that comes from the inside out? What do I do to change? How? What do I do? And Jesus tells us in this passage what to do. And here's what he says. He says, pray. He says, uh, ask for help. And look at what he says. Ask, and they will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. See, Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to change on a heart level, then you need to ask Seek and knock, which, you know, just by the way, makes for like the perfect acrostic. Y'all see that? I mean, that's like, that's incredible. And, I, you know, it doesn't mean anything, but as, um, 
you know, as a pastor, just kind of geek out over that kind of stuff. So I just had to point that, point that out. It doesn't actually do that in the Greek or Aramaic, what Jesus was teaching in, but in the English, man, it just works beautifully. But it's not very important. What is important, what's actually incredibly important about what Jesus says here is that he says that really, I guess the best way to capture why, what, what's so significant about what Jesus says here is by saying, well, uh, pay attention to what he doesn't say. And then pay attention to the strength of what he does say. Like, for example, you pay attention to what he doesn't say. Notice he doesn't say in context. He's talking about growing, becoming more Christ-like, becoming this kind of citizen of heaven. And he doesn't say, hey, look, this is what you need to do. You need to try harder. He doesn't say, try harder and you'll achieve, you know. Uh, Do your best and you're going to overcome. He doesn't say that kind of thing here, does he? No, he, he just says, uh, pray. You need to ask. You need to seek. You need to knock. What's, I love that. I love that that's what Jesus says. I also really struggle with that. Because for me, personally, I lean towards trying harder. Like, if I'm wanting to change, then I'm like, well, I just got to, you know, grit my teeth and do better, you know. But that's not what Jesus points us to here. He says, no, you, you need to pray. And he says, if we do, if we ask, then we will receive. Not we, we may receive or maybe, you know, whatever. He, he says we will receive. It's a, see, it's a very strong statement. I mean, he basically says this three different ways, and then he repeats himself. He doubles down, right? You see that? Ask, and be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, door will be opened to you. And then, in case anyone missed that, he says it again. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks the door will be open. See, this, friends, this is a promise. It's a promise. But it's really important that you factor in the context of this promise. Because I, I actually know many people who have gotten really confused and even dismayed in their relation with God as a result of ripping what Jesus says here completely out of context. Now, <laughs> I understand that temptation, okay? Because there's a part of all of us that would really love to have our own personal genies, <laughs> right? That will, that will grant all of our wishes. Like we would all love to be Aladdin to some extent, and we'd do a better job with the wishes than Aladdin. But, uh, you know, we'd love to be that. And if you read this promise from Jesus out of context, it seems like that's what... He's promising that. He's promises unlimited wishes. Ask for whatever you want and you will receive. Seek, with, seek out your heart's desires and you will find open on, you know, knock on any door you want opened. And it will be open. It's, it's open sesame here. This is like how we would love to, to read this. But that's not what Jesus is promising here. And you need to see that, okay? See, uh, the promise, this promise, it follows Jesus' call. In context, in the Sermon on the Mount, it follows his call to live a holy life. At one point, Jesus literally says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. He's talking about that. He says, to live as citizens of his kingdom, as to live as the salt of the earth and light of the world, you need not murder, not harbor anger, to not commit adultery and not to objectify and use women to not break an oath 
And, and in fact, to be so honest that you don't even need to make an oath for people to trust your word. You need to love and serve your enemies and not seek the approval of others and to not pursue the treasures of this world and not worry about the things of this world, but instead to seek first his kingdom and not to judge others. That's the context. That's all the things that Jesus had just said before he says, ask and you will receive And friends, that's why Jesus makes that promise. For he knows that what he has just called us to do is completely impossible for us to do on our own. And so he says, ask for help. Ask, and you will receive. I promise. And he he makes this a promise for three reasons. He makes this promise for three reasons. The first one is this. It's because he knows that this is what God wants to do in your life and in my life. See, in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, it says, uh, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. It's God's will that you should be sanctified. And that word sanctified is a theological word referring to God's progressive uh, work in making us or making our character more and more like Christ, more like Jesus' character. And that's what we're told. God wants to do in your life. That's his will for you. And so when you ask him to do that, his answer is yes. Ask and you will receive. That's the promise. Now, that doesn't mean that if you ask, for example, to God, I know you said don't worry, so let me pray and ask you, help me to, to never worry again. It doesn't work that way because God works in a progressive manner. Sanctification is progressive. It takes time, but as you ask for God, like, God, help free me from worry. Free me from this worry. Help me become someone who trusts you more. His answer to you is yes, step by step, over time, you become that person You're asking him to make you, and he has the power to make you. I think think this is why in this passage, the verb tense that Jesus uses here is the present present imperative. And what that means is that when he says ask, it really should be read as ask and keep on asking. And seek and keep on seeking. And knock and keep on knocking. Knocking and the door will be open to you. Like this is an ongoing thing. And as we stay dependent on God to make us like Jesus, as we ask and keep asking, seek and keep seeking, he will keep working, transforming us step by step, prayer by prayer, into the character of Christ, into the type of person that lives as a citizen of the kingdom of God. Oh, in addition... The second reason why Jesus makes this promise such a strong promise is because he knows that God has the ability to do this. So not only is it God's will to do this, but he has the power of the ability to do this. In 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, we're told that God has the power to transform us into the image of Christ. And friends, God alone has that power. He alone has the power to form Christ-like character in us, to make us holy and to fully free us from worry and greed and fear of man and from being judgmental and on and on. 
So Jesus promises, ask and you will receive because he knows that God wants to do this and he and he alone has the power to do this. And so he promises, if you ask, you'll receive. And there's one more reason why Jesus makes this as such a strong promise. It's because Jesus knows that God is our good father. And as our good father, he loves to give good gifts to his children. In fact, that's what Jesus goes to next in this passage. Look at what he says. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, ouch, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? See, uh, Jesus is telling us here why we will receive when we ask. He says we will receive, we we will find when we seek. That will happen because your Father in heaven loves to give good gifts to those who ask him because he's a perfect father. And I think that uh, Jesus knows how we have a really hard time believing that. We have a hard time believing that our Heavenly Father loves us and delights in us and that he wants to give us good gifts. And so he, in this Sermon on the Mount, he, Jesus, he, he, he points to parents and he says, hey, which of you you know, which of you, if your son comes to you and asks for something that he needs, and that day, I guess, bread and fish were things that kids asked for. My kids rarely ask for bread and never ask for fish, but uh, <laughs> one of my kids is right there. Um, <laughs> but uh, he says, which of you, if, you're, if your son asks for those things, are you, are you going to say no? Or are you going to give them something unhelpful? Or harmful, a snake, like that's the worst thing ever, to, to you get if they ask for something. And he's, Jesus is putting this, this is a rhetorical question, but the, the assumption is like, none of y'all will do that. None of the, all the parents are hearing that, and they're like, in the sermon, like on that mountainside, they're like, now nah, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. He's like, of course you wouldn't do that. And I think that's a very fair assumption because parents, parents love their kids and love to give good gifts to their kids. Like, <laughs> it's Mother's Day. Like, think about Mother's Day, the, the, the uh, like vast majority of moms are the people, if you poll people, you say, okay, who's the most selfless, giving person you know, they, the mom, <laughs> you know? And so, like, this is the type of people that Jesus has caused you to think about. Like, think about how awesome your mom is. Think about if you have a great dad. Think about a great dad who loves to give good gifts to your kids. Like, I think this is funny. I was talking with Krista this weekend, and uh, she was telling me about this new book she'd been reading on how to be a better mom. And, and then she's like, you need to read this because it's really more for you about how to be a better dad. It's a parenting book. But um, I wasn't reading it, so she just decided to take a whole car trip to tell me all about it so that I would at least get it from her. And what, what's really funny, though, is that the book, our, so our boys just turned 13 this year. And the book is a lot about how to help our, our teenage boys you know, become more independent and responsible. And like one of the things she's saying is like the book is saying that we need to stop doing so much for them. And like we need to coach them, set them up for success, but we need to like pull back and we can't nag and we can't do it for them and we can't like interject. And so she's like, it's really hard because it means like they specifically say, like I need to stop making 
the boys their lunch in the mornings for school. And, and, and like, we should stop doing their laundry. Well, I do the boys' laundry, and she makes the lunches, and I hear that and think, sweet, like, I'm all about this. I love this book. Give me this book. I'm going to read this book. I want to, we need to get our kids to start doing this for themselves. But she is actually having a really hard time with it. That's why she was talking about it. She's like, I'm really struggling with it. You know why she's struggling with that? Because she's awesome. And she loves to give good gifts to our kids. She serves and serves. She's selfless. Like her default setting when, her, when our kids ask her for something is, is yes. You're like, ask and you will receive. She, that's what she is just default. And she has to pull back the reins whenever it's clearly not good for them. And, when they, and even that, she doesn't like having to pull back those reins. Jesus points to parents like that and says, hey, you want to know what your father in heaven is like? He is, uh, he is a perfect example of that. That like Krista, for our boys, Krista is a shadow of what the father is like. She's a broken image of how good our father is. As good as she is, she's incredible, phenomenal, way better than I am, and, but just a broken image. Like Jesus says, like, if you know how to give good gifts to your kids, though you are evil, Self-centered, not God-centered, not perfectly loving, not perfect in any sense. And yet you know how to good. How much more is that true of your Father in heaven? He loves to give good gifts to his kids. Paul Miller in his fantastic book, Praying Life, sums up Jesus' point here in this way. He says, if we earthly parents with all of our brokenness still give our kids good gifts, won't our Heavenly Father do even more? Our kids' requests, no matter how trivial, tug on our hearts. And God feels the same way. You know why? It's because, as Jesus says here, God is your perfect Father. That's why it tugs on his heart. Think about good parents. They go crazy over their kids. They delight in their kids. They're eager to serve their kids and love and give good gifts to their kids whenever their kids ask. And Jesus says, as good as that is, that's just a broken picture, a shadow of how your Heavenly Father feels about you. He's crazy about you. And so when you ask him for something you need to grow in Christ-likeness, Oh, this is joy. He's eager to give it to you. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Why? Because that's what your father is like. And that's how crazy he is about you. He's not going to withhold any good thing from you. So uh, why does Jesus tell us all of this? Why does he start talking about what our father is like, that he's good good and perfect father loves good gifts. You know why? Because he wants us to ask him. (laughs) He wants us to ask him to give us what we need to grow in Christ-likeness. Again, that's the context here. Now, real quick, that is the context here. But that doesn't mean that we can't ask the father for anything that we want. We absolutely can. As a child, children ask their parents for anything and everything, and they ask it over and over and over again. Amen, moms, right? Absolutely. Yeah, but that's fine because he's your perfect father. He doesn't like 
get mad at you over that? He's like, no, I love you coming and talking to me. But I'm not going to necessarily promise that I'm going to always give what you ask for and when it comes to anything, but I want you to come and ask it. In fact, James, <laughs> and, uh, the brother of Jesus, writes in his letter in the New Testament, he tells us this about God. He says, uh, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. And James is saying that every good thing that we have in our lives originates with God. That he is a giver of good gifts. And this is characteristic, doesn't change. It doesn't shift like shadows. No, it's just part of his fundamental nature. He is the giver of good gifts. And so we can ask our Father for anything. And if, in his wisdom, he sees that it is indeed a good gift to give us, he will eagerly do so in the right time, in the wise way. So yeah, we can ask him for anything, but here, again, in context, Jesus is talking about asking the Father to give us the good gifts that we need in order to grow in Christ-likeness, to be transformed into the image of Christ. And Jesus says, if we ask him for that, his answer will always be yes. If that's what we seek for, then we will always find. If that's the door we're knocking on, it will always be opened because it aligns with his will for us and he has the power to do it and he's eager to do it because he is a good father who loves to give good gifts to his children. So we should ask him for what we need in order to grow in Christ-like character. But we rarely do. I mean, when was the last time that you, that you really spent time seeking God to grow in compassion or in generosity? When was the last time? God, make me a more loving person. Help me love my enemies. I don't love my enemies. Help me love my enemies. If you're like me, and maybe you do that. If so, awesome, you're applying God's word. We should all be doing that, so that's good. I don't want to judge all of you, but I'm just thinking about myself personally. Like I, what I normally find myself praying is for God to change my circumstances. And often I'm, I'm praying for him to change circumstances that I could see that he's actually put in my life or allowed in my life in order to help train me to become the type of person he wants me to become that's going to put me in a position where I have to be patient or I have someone in my life that's hard to love and I'm going to learn how to love my enemies. I'm just like, God, get rid of them. He's like, no, no, that's there for a reason. I rarely pray, God, make me more like Jesus in this area. I need to be more patient. Give me more joy, more love, kindness, gentleness. Do you do that? Just ask, friends. Ask. And you will receive. Seek and you will find. Now, this week as I was studying this, one of the questions I was talking to God about was just like, okay, God, why do you want us to ask? Like, if this is your will for us and, and, and you have the power to do it and this is what's really good for us and the whole world, like, why don't you just make us this way? Why, do we, why is the call to ask? And... <laughs> I think that the reason why he wants us to ask is because he's a perfect father. And as a perfect father, he, he knows what's best for us, but he doesn't force it upon us. 
Like, it's a relationship. Like, I have things that I really want for my sons. I want them to be men of integrity. I want them to be servant-hearted. I want them to love others well. I want them to follow through in their responsibilities, to keep their word. Like, I I want these things and many others for them. But I can't make them. I, it, and I can try to force that, especially at their age in my house. I can try, to, but that's not the sign of a healthy relationship, is it? Like, I, I recognize they're independent people, their own people. And so I don't force that upon them, but I certainly try to train them in that, coach them in that, model that for them the best that I can give them a vision of it and opportunities to do it, but ultimately it result it, it that at one at some point it ends up the ball is in their court if they're going to pursue it. Our perfect father treats us like that. And so he wants us to ask, instead of just forcing it upon us. The uh, this Mother's Day, I kind of did a little bit of experiment. We'll see how it goes. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I just sat my boys down, and now they're 13. It's like we're kicking this into high gear, me and Krista. Right? We're going to teach you this stuff. So I sat them down and said, hey, this year, Mother's Day, I'm not doing it for you. Like, if you're going to honor mom, if mom's going to be honored on Mother's Day, then that's on you guys. Now, I know you don't have a job, and so I want you to know, like, if, if you come up with an idea that's going to cost some money, just ask me for it. I, I will make it happen. I'll be, I'll be pumped up to do it. But you need to come. I'm not coming to you with ideas. You have decided, is this something you want to do? You want to honor mom on Mother's Day? And then you need to come up with a plan of how to do that. And then you come to me and ask, and I'll say yes. Ask and you will receive. And uh, I didn't bring it back up. It's like, this, this is on you. Y'all have heard me. We've talked, had a good conversation. Cross my fingers and hope that mom is not going to have the worst Mother's Day ever. <laughs> and they came up with some stuff. It's not amazing. <laughs> they could have asked for a lot more, and I would have said yes to more things. Seriously. But they did come up with some stuff. And they took steps into being the type of men, or boys at this point, that are going to honor their mom, show love, and say thanks. And they asked me for their, the ideas that they came up with. They asked me for it. I said, absolutely, I'm so excited to do it. So we're doing those things and all that kind of stuff. It's kind, it's kind of fun. As I, I, if I can be so bold, I think that that's a, that's a decent example of, what, of why God wants us to ask here. He, he gives us a vision of this. And Jesus comes, he models this for us. He gives us a vision of the kingdom of God, how, what, how to live as citizens of the kingdom, calls us into it, but he doesn't force us, force it upon us. He leaves the ball in our court. He says, but you knowing we don't actually have the ability to do it ourselves, to actually live Christ-like, perfect, holy lives. And so he just says, hey, hey, if that's what you want, then ask. Because the Father, he has the means to do that. But he's not pushing it on you. He's inviting you into it. If you want it. And ask, and you will receive. See, God, God, as wild as it is, he, he, he actually uh, treats us, uh, or he actually gives us, I should say, agency in this process of growing in Christ-likeness. 
And the crux of where this happens is in prayer. We see where we need to grow. We acknowledge it. We ask for it. He promises to do it. It's a relationship. It's a collaboration. I love how John Mark Comer puts it. Uh, he says, prayer is a relational collaboration whereby we join with God to put our hearts and our world to rights. And, and just to point out the obvious, friends, but like the clear op- implication of what Jesus is saying here is that there are good things that our Father wants to give us but that we won't receive from him if we don't ask. You see that? And that's, that's, that's clearly the conclusion to draw from this. Yes, God will always go beyond what we ask and what we imagine, but here Jesus is clearly communicating a simple but profound truth, that being your prayers actually matter. Your prayers actually matter. Your requests really matter. And so pray. It's, you know, as silly as it sounds to say, but I just don't think we actually believe it. If we did, we would, we would pray a lot more. D.A. Carson, in his commentary on Matthew, says this. He says, Far too often, Christians do not have the marks of Jesus' character because they do not ask. But the best gifts, those advocated by by the Sermon on the Mount, are available to everyone who persistently asks, seeks, and knocks. So how do we apply this? Uh, <laughs> I think it's, it's pretty simple. Uh, begin to ask. Begin to ask. Like, I really want to encourage you all to do that this week. Not just this week, but begin this week. And I really want to encourage you to do that in a way that's specific, not general. When you pray general requests, you get general answers that are hard to tell if something happened. But pray specific prayers. Seek God for specific answers. Uh, identify an area in your life where you know, okay, I, God has brought it to mind. I am not like Jesus in this area. I'm so, so far to go. And begin to pray. And I worry so much. I worry, worry, worry. Help me. Help me stop worrying. Help me trust you instead. Help me see why you're trustworthy. I'll seek to see why you're trustworthy. Open this door for me that I would stop worrying. And I'll pray that, and I'll pray that, and I'll pray that, and God will say yes, 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 yes. You'll grow progressively over time to become someone who doesn't worry as easily. Pray. Let's pray. Identify an area. One, One great thing to do this week would be actually just to read through the Sermon on the Mount again and see what pops out to you. What does God bring to your mind? It's like, I need, I'm far from Christ in this. I'm not like Jesus in this. I'm going to begin praying for that, that God would make me like Christ in that area. And then begin praying that. Can you do that this week? Ask and you will receive. Let's do that. Let's ask. Okay? Because listen, as a church, we talk a lot about what we're, our, our longing, our big dream. Our big prayer is to see Austin become 
like heaven, in Austin as it is in heaven. But here's the thing. As a church family, one of the reasons why what Jesus is teaching us here is so important and helpful is because Austin will become more like heaven as we become more like Jesus. And so let's pray for God's kingdom to come in Austin as it is in heaven. But let's also pray for God's will to be done in our hearts, in our lives. Let's begin to really pray, God, will you make me more like Jesus? Because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven. Jesus says, hey, God, God wants to do this in your life. Your father has the power to do it in your life, and your father is good and he loves a good, good gifts to you, so ask. Sound all right? Can we do that? Let's do that. Okay. Well, I want to invite the service to go uh, get the elements ready for communion. We're going to end the message by uh, partaking in communion together. As they begin to, to pass that out, just have... Uh, Something I want us to reflect on as we prepare to take communion. What I would like us to reflect on is just to realize that what we're remembering when we take communion is the ultimate proof that our Father loves us and loves to give good gifts to us. See, for what we're remembering here would not have happened if the Father had not so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And what we're remembering here would not have happened if Jesus had not willingly given his life for us, dying in our place to pay for our sins so that through his death and resurrection, we could be given eternal life and be given the spirit of God to live within us, enabling us, to grow in Christ-likeness. See, friends, Jesus' body was broken for us and his blood was spilled for us. That is the ultimate proof that there is no good gift that our God will withhold from us. So let's remember. Let's remember that now. And may it move us in light of how good he is to come to him confidently and persistently to ask for him to give us the good gifts he's promised to give us. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven. Mm-hmm.